Welcome to Going Off the Record. I'm Colin Williams, and this is where I talk with the executives, entrepreneurs, athletes, and changemakers working to make this world a little bit better every day. You'll hear their true stories, their failures, their successes, and most importantly, you'll learn what makes them tick. So let's get going off the record. Hey, everybody, here with another episode of Going Off the Record. One of my really good friends, a guy who's accomplished a shit ton here in Chicago. I'm here with Brad Surratt, who is the vice chairman at CBRE, or a vice chairman at CBRE. He can tell us better about that. But I believe the youngest vice chairman at CBRE in history. At one time, I was the youngest. Now oh, they're. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now we're just old farts. Now we're just old farts, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, really excited to be sitting here talking to Brad. Now, this is an important thing. Brad and I decided that it would be much more fun if we did this while having a few cocktails. So I'm opening my beer so I can hear it. And I, I couldn't find, I'm in the office, I couldn't find a beer, but I, I was able to find a nice bottle of Casamigos Reposado. So I'm going to be drinking some tequila. That's very much better than my beer, but that's okay. So thanks for coming on. Uh, just thanks interrupt you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great. Yeah, cool, man. Just going to do a few ground rules uh, just to get that out of the way. You know, I'm a lawyer, so I love that shit. And then we'll just get rolling and, and learn about you and your, your history, your family, how you got to where you are and all that good stuff. Cool. Sounds great. I love it. All right. So first things first, I'm, I'm always concerned about confidentiality. So I love it if you can use names and stories or anything like that. And you're cool with that. If you have anybody who would be pissed about it, let's just keep them anonymous. Second, this is all about sort of being candid, being yourself, having a conversation. So it's off the record. So be yourself, say what you want to say. We've already swore, so we're in good shape there. And beyond that, there's no rules, man. This is just about having fun, learning about you, learning about what makes you successful and, and having a good time. Cool? Awesome. Yeah, well, listen, thanks for having me on. Uh, those rules sound great. I don't know if you have me signing anything in blood, but I'm happy to do that too. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't have to sign shit. This is, <laughs> I'm, I'm giving you like the voice. Well, cheers to it. Well, yeah, cheers, cheers to it. <laughs> there we <Okay>. go. <laughs> All right. Well, tell us, man, just what's your background? Where are you from? Where'd you yeah. grow up? What was growing up like? All that good stuff. Tell us about your family. Yeah. So I'm originally from St. Louis. I have three brothers and I'm second oldest. So we're all a year and a half apart. And my house was just chaos in the best kind of way. <laughs> my mom always had like the philosophy, the more the merrier. So every neighborhood kid was always over. Somebody was coming in and out, going through our fridge. My mom, that's the one thing that always would piss her off, right? Someone would come in and like grab a, a Mr. Pib back in the day and like <laughs> make themselves at home and pour a glass of milk, eat our fruit roll-ups. But besides that, it was, you know, kids were always over riding bikes, rollerblading, skateboarding constantly. And my mom used to always say she wishes she had like a doctor on call or like at our house because somebody was always hurt, right? Little <laughs> boy stuff. So really close with my brothers. Oldest is Dan. He's in San Francisco now. Jimmy's a doctor uh, in Scottsdale. And then Joey is uh, back in St. Louis as a high school counselor where we all grew up. And my parents got divorced, separated when I was eight, which really had an impact on all of us kind of growing up. And it was sort of like one of those like four-year drag out divorces that lasted oh. a while. But even through that, was always really close with both my parents. My dad is uh, a retired orthopedic surgeon. Wow. And so, you know, I had this like really cool, interesting, kind of unique upbringing where my dad on one side was this orthopedic surgeon and every Saturday or Sunday, 
you know, since the time I was six years old, we would put our white jackets on and stethoscopes and we would make rounds with our dad. And wow. it was like this really cool thing as a kid to like feel important and then look up and my dad be the man, right? That was like a really cool thing. And, and more so like watching him help people. He specialized in knees and hips and people that came from all over the world to see him. And every time we'd go into a patient's you know, room, they'd always look at us and compliment my dad and then ask us what we want to be when we get older. So it started to kind of get embedded in our brain. Like we're going to be doctors like our dad. And so that was like the path that I was originally on as a young kid. And, and I think all of my brothers were. And my mom on the other side was a public defender. Awesome. And you had a doctor and a lawyer. We had a, do- you know, a typical Jewish, you know, <laughs> we hit the jackpot. We had the doctor. We had the so it was pretty interesting, but they couldn't be more opposite people. My dad is like this super conservative more on the Boy Scout side of his personality, just very methodical, may have a glass of wine now and again. Like us, just a glass. Yeah, (laughs) I think I'm a glass already in, no. And my mom is just like free spirit and she's very liberal, very progressive. One of my brothers is gay and that was obviously like being very supportive of my brother and her son while we were growing up was obviously something that was like in our ethos and part of our DNA. And she's this free spirit that just loves fun. And she wanted to be around people that were fun. So that was sort of, I had this sort of like juxtapose. And then the last piece about growing up, which I think is interesting is my mom fell in love with this carpenter that was redoing our kitchen, right? (laughs) And his name is Jim and Jim has since passed, but Jim was this Bush beer drinking, Harley Davidson riding tough, guy. like Different different from your dad, huh? Different from my dad, right? And so I grew up playing horseshoes and deep frying a turkey with Jim on Thanksgiving and my mom and my brothers. And then we would put our button downs and khakis on and we'd race over to the Ritz Carlton and have Thanksgiving dinner with my dad. Holy shit. So we had this really interesting hybrid where like I was taught how to change oil and change tires and tow a boat and set up camp and build basements and drywall and frame a house with Jim. And on the flip side, I I was taught how to conduct myself and the importance of education with my dad and hard work. You could have learned carpentry in two ways. My brother's an ER doc and he's always like, I always told him if I was going to be a doctor, I'd definitely be an orthopedic surgeon. He's like, oh, well, you like carpentry. It's the same thing. Same thing. Hammering nails and screws into bones instead of wood. That's it. I think that oversimplifies it a bit, but it's funny, man. You mentioned about like, first of all, that's a lot of dude running around in a house. Four boys. Four boys. Chaos. (laughs) Chaos. But it's interesting because you mentioned like the kids coming in, taking uh, Mr. Pibb. I love Mr. Pibb. Was that like the Pepsi version of Dr. Pepper? Or am I screwing that up? It's the same. Well, I think so. But my mom would always go to Costco. And I think back then it was called Dr. Schnee. (laughs) <laughs> like maybe it was maybe maybe it wasn't you know it was, it was like the, 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 the Costco brand or Sam. Brand. <laughs> I'm going to dive into a Dr. Schnee. <laughs> no, but it's funny to think about because you know I know you pretty well now. It's funny to think about what you said and like four boys running around and all the neighborhood kids congregating. This is still what you do. This like, is what we do. You are the social guy. Everybody gravitates to you. You're having events all the time. People are around, right? It's amazing to see like, and I don't know if that's influence or what or just your personality, but it's interesting to think back then and say, you're doing the same shit now, obviously in a much more professional way that earns money and all stuff like that. But 
it is interesting to think about the parallels between having all those kids around and having this massive active environment and all these people. And now look at what you do. It's, it no, yeah, it ties in. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I know that we're going to, we're going to talk about it, but I, I absolutely love candidly. I love what I do and it does parlay so perfectly. I always like one of my favorite sayings is that I don't take myself very seriously, but I take what I do very, very seriously. And we have a, a ton of fun doing it. So yeah, no, it's, it couldn't mirror my childhood more if I tried. Let's get something out of the way here that you're not like a St. Louis blues fan and a Cardinals fan and shit, are you? Well, <laughs> I retired the blues, right? Like, the, like during the strike, actually, like the yeah. like four year period, I just sort of like lost connection with them. But the St. Louis Cardinals, my grandfather was a scout for the Cardinals. Um, and he actually played minor league baseball and then was up as a catcher for the Browns for a minute back when the Browns were in St. Louis is a baseball club. And so my grandfather was like this big personality, a salesman among salesmen. I mean, the guy was a traveling salesman selling women's swimwear with my grandmother. He would load up. And it's actually kind of kind of a cool Chicago history. He would drive in his huge caddy to Chicago's apparel center. And yeah. he would look at all the swimwear. He would pick the latest season, fill up the car, order more to have it sent his next destination. He would drive across country with my grandmother selling swimwear. And at the same time, he would have two radio stations playing different baseball games. And if he had TVs, he'd have two TVs going, constantly scouting what's going on at the same time. So just kind of like an interesting background there. But yeah, no, I am a St. Louis Cardinals fan because of my grandfather. I get it. I get it. I'm not a huge baseball fan, so I don't hold it against you. I, I, root, I guess hockey. I root for the Cubs, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's hockey yeah. and football, right? Yeah, you're a hockey guy. That's where I'm stuck. That's where I'm stuck. So you talked about your dad, and it's funny. Like, I remember growing up as a kid. My parents, we weren't Jewish, but... I was always told there's basically, I grew up in a Roman Catholic family, lots of people, right? And um, there was two paths that you could take. You could become a doctor or a lawyer, or if you didn't want to go sort of that white collar route, you could become a policeman or a fireman. Those were the things that you did. And, you know, I wasn't, I didn't work hard enough to become a doctor, so I got stuck in this shit, but it's all worked out okay. I think it's worked out <laughs> fine for you, my friend. <laughs> no, but it, it, it is like growing up, like that was sort of like, I had my mom was this hardworking attorney that just sort of believed that everyone deserved representation. And my dad was just this guy trying to help those in a quarter of the cases he did. He did, you know, pro bono because they just couldn't afford it. And so just this cool juxtaposition. But I thought I was going to be a doctor. Yeah. So what happened? What, did you start to pursue that? Let's talk about how you went, like went through high school and got into college. And was that the path or did you just... Well, I, you know, I just sort of like said, yeah, I'm going to, I just sort of like mentally confirmed to myself that, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try this, this medical thing. Man. I'm going to, I'm going to try being a doctor. And I also like really liked different TV shows and, you know, ER, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Like, these are, these are, makes all this look really cool. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> this is great. These guys are studs. They, you know, they get the pretty girl being the doctor. I mean, just like, yeah, I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> but, I remember watching the legal shows and being like, this is great. I'm going to get out. Somebody's going to give me a gun. I'm going to yeah. go solve cases. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but growing up in high school, one of the things that I really gravitated towards was lacrosse. And yeah. I got really into lacrosse and became captain of the team and was an All-American. And it was something that I was just really passionate about. And my dad, who I was very close with, was always working, right? And he was working because he's of the old world, not because he's a bad person. He's a tremendous person. Yeah. He grew up in an era that is what makes a man is if you provide for your family, then you're set. And so 
that's what he did. That's what he knew how to do. That's the only thing he could control. So he missed almost all my games and wasn't there. And he was really proud of me and still proud of me. And I'm, you know, but it's one of those things that stuck with me. And I started kind of taking note that if being a doctor meant not being able to be present for my kids, and I always wanted to be a father, yeah. then I don't know if being a doctor is for me. And so I started paying, taking note of all these things as I was growing up in, in high school. And then when I went to college, I started off as a little Jewish boy at Southern Methodist University. <laughs> oh, I didn't, you, you started at SMU. I didn't know that. <laughs> Which is a whole nother story. That's where the Jewish cowboy was born. Self-proclaimed. <laughs> I gave my, my, my fraternity brothers gave me that title and I sort of like pumped it up because I thought <laughs> you got to roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I'm like this Yankee down at SMU and I was like one of the only Jewish guys down there. And I never really was super religious. I was more ish than Jew. You know, yeah, so, yeah. Is, is SMU, though, I, I've gotten the impression I knew it, it's strange. There was a pipeline from like my hometown down to SMU. SMU is not really a religious school, is it? That's not. just the traditional name. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's actually in Highland Park, which is a very Jewish area of Dallas and beautiful. But I went to school there for a year. And I have four stepbrothers and sisters along with my three brothers. So there's eight kids wow. growing up. And my dad put everyone through college, right? And yeah. he paid, we were very fortunate. He paid for everyone's school. SMU was the most expensive by okay. far. Private school, Texas, not cheap. So he kind of said, hey, son, you know, you're thinking of switching. You know, you're not here for like the business school or journalism or whatever they were great for. Known for, you're getting fine marks. But if you would go to somewhere like Mizzou or Miami of Ohio, where you got in, it'd be a fraction of the cost would really help me out. And so, of course, I'm like, dad, you bet. I love you. I'm fortunate you're paying for my college. 100%, I'm, I'm going to do that. So oh, I you should have guilted him. I'll do it for a car. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, no, yeah, with all the negotiating skills I've picked up over the years, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a different story now. Yes. <laughs> but so I ended up transferring my sophomore year to Miami of Ohio, which is where I still was pre-med my sophomore year. And it really wasn't until my second semester sophomore year where I was taking AP chemistry and I was taking zoology and different classes. And I just realized, you know what? I, I'm not into it. I'm just not passionate yeah. about it. I'm doing it because this is what I think my, would make my dad proud. Yeah. And so I just called my dad and kind of midway through second semester. I was like, dad, I love you, but I am done with being pre-med. I just, it's not for me. And I'm going to switch to business. And I don't know exactly what business, if it's going to be finance or marketing, but I'm switching. And I had to take 23 credit hours every semester thereafter and summer school to graduate on time. Wow. Yeah. It worked out great. I ended up graduating with a marketing degree. And one thing I'll comment about Miami of Ohio, which was interesting and something that I do attribute some connectivity to is they have an entrepreneurship program that started my year when I was there. And I ended up taking this class and these VCs and entrepreneurs would fly in once a week to teach this class and sometimes twice a week. And you had to put together a pitch deck and a business plan and then pitch it to the VCs. And they actually funded one of the the idea is, and this is going back to 1998, 1999, and I graduated in 2000. And so I ended up minoring an entrepreneurship degree. Oh, there it is. But <laughs> I've always been just like, I was like very in, in trance and just interested in sort of work, like these entrepreneurs that I'm like, wow, like this is interesting. So I, I didn't really know, couldn't put my finger on it, but I thought it was just, I, I gravitated towards it. The universe pushes you in weird ways, right? Like yes, it's, I'll tell the story really quickly. We were interviewing a candidate yesterday. And her last question to me was, 
she wanted to ask, should I take this risk? Should I join you guys because you're a startup and should I take this risk? But right before she was going to ask the question, she noticed the fact that I have tattoos, right? Because I lifted my arm up and she said, hey, what does your tattoo say? And my tattoo says the only risk you regret is the one you don't take. And she was like, my God, my next question was going to be, should I take this risk? And I said, well, the only risk you regret is the one you don't take. Wow. And that was the end. Of, that was the end of the interview. It was really cool. That's I, that was one of those moments. I'm like, Jesus Christ, the universe has a sense of humor or something like pushes you in certain directions. You have no idea why or when or what the purpose is. That's but pretty there's cool. a little one, right? What are the chances yeah. you transfer to Miami of Ohio the year that like the entrepreneurship program starts? Yeah. Um, I mean, just the, who, who knew? Right. I didn't go there for that. Right. <laughs> so, I didn't know that that was even a thing. Yeah. Two quick questions for you. And one is just something I picked up like growing up and you said one of your brothers is gay. And if you don't want to dive into this, please don't. But it's funny, my son's six and he said some interesting things coming back from school the other day, not in a very positive way, right? Sort of the male dynamics and the female dynamics in his own classroom in kindergarten and how he was having trouble understanding why the boys didn't like unicorns and the girls didn't like Star Wars. And he said, I like unicorns and Star Wars. So I just, I'm confused on what the problem is. But I, I do think back then things were so different, right? Yeah. Like when we were kids, things were so different. That was not a friendly environment. Jokes were rampant. Things have gotten much better. They're not perfect. But I'm curious, like how you guys handled that, because I get nothing from what you're saying other than love and respect and happiness. And God bless your brother, man, because that was not like I would not have wanted to grow, grown up in that way no. um, back then. Like that was just, it was a tough one. He, he's a warrior, man. He's a, he's a trooper because truthfully growing up in a house of alpha macho guys. Yeah. And we didn't know that Jimmy was gay, but we just knew that, you know, at that time that he was a little different. And obviously I, I my perspective on life and, and people has just changed. Obviously all of ours has through life experiences, but we were not very kind kids growing up. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's and it, like shit. With it, it wasn't malicious. It was just no, just being a kid, right? Just being a kid. Right. And right. You know, kids make fun of each other and you poke fun and you size each other up. And there's no question that I have deep guilt growing up because I was not a kind soul to him. And, you know, when he finally kind of actually explicitly told me, it was like, you know, the movie The Sixth Sense with yeah. Bruce Willis. Yeah. At the very end of the movie, he f- realizes that he's dead. Yeah. And then he flashes back throughout the whole movie. Through everything. Yeah. And it just like clicks. Yeah. It's the best way to describe sort of how I felt when he told me. And I'll, you know, I, I'll never forget because he was going to medical school at West Suburbs. At Loyola? The one Loyola. I was, yeah. yeah. He was at Loyola. And we were in Lincoln Park at like Pasta Palazzo is where we were eating dinner. And he was oh going, <laughs> he was really nervous. And we would do brother dinner every week. And I would always take care of him and pay for dinner because that was like my contribution to taking. And he was really nervous and he told me and I looked at him and I was like, buddy, I love you. So the question I have for you is, are we going to Boys Town now? <laughs> are we going next week? We're, like, let's go. Like, let's, yeah. you know, let's do this. Like, let's go have some fun. And so that was sort of like a big relief, I think, for not only, for, you know, for him, but it was like it brought us closer together. And I really just respect the hell out of him, man. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, you're not on here, but God bless you, man. Yeah. It's funny when I went down to New Orleans, so New Orleans has a massive gay population. I was whatever. This is law school, 21 years old. I'm still a, a total jackass. But I made like a small group of friends right when we got down there and they said, hey, do you want to go down to the quarter and we'll go down to 
the gay portion of the quarter. And some guys were like, no, hell no, I'm not going. Like, I, why would I do that? I'm like, yeah, let's go check it out. What, I mean, what the hell, why not, right? And it was such a great introduction. I mean, I was closed-minded, I was an idiot, blah, blah, blah. But it was such a great introduction to just say like, hey, everybody, everybody's a person, everybody's normal, it, it's, it ain't a thing. Right. We have a, uh, well, I mean, as you know, I have four kiddos and we have lots of sayings in my house. And, and one of those sayings is that everyone's different. And not only is different okay, different's beautiful. Good. Can you yeah. imagine the world if we were all the same and how boring that would be? Yeah, it would like, suck. I mean, well, unless everybody was like us, it'd be a shit ton of people. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, and, and one other thing I actually wanted to ask you, and this kind of plays into like my interest in when you made the transfer, did, did you like SMU? Did you hate it? Oh, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, because I've always thought, and you see all these kids now with like all the NIL stuff and transfer portals and athletes can now move from school to school. All I keep thinking is like, you get to school, you establish friends, you have a life, and all of a sudden you uproot that and go someplace else. And you're doing it for a reason. There's obviously a reason, but that still has to be tough when you go like, this is where I am, right? Yeah. Me, I actually think about this in the context of moving, right? It's like, wait, this is where I'm from. And I know all these people, yeah. I have good friends. And what was it like being a transfer? Well, first off, I loved SMU and some of my closest friends to this day are still guys my, you know, that I, I've pledged with at my fraternity house and being an idiot or at the, you know, we were all SAEs and just hilarious things that happened, but it brought us really close together. So I still maintain those friendships. And when I transferred, I was obviously really nervous, but I didn't know it then. And again, I now know it is that that's where all a lot of growth, personal growth happens is in that uncomfortable zone. Yeah. And so I transferred in and immediately started making friends that were like me. And then I affiliated with the fraternity house at Miami of Ohio. And thankfully it was a group of good guys and great guys there that I'm still also friends with today. So it, it was an easy transition, I think, when I look back to it overall. And both were awesome schools for different reasons. Yeah, yeah, I've always just wondered that, like what happens when you sort of pull up everything, particularly when you're young, you're what, yeah. 19 years old? It's like, maybe, it's easier than actually now that I think about it, maybe you're more malleable and you're like, ah, oh, fuck it, whatever, I'll figure it out. Maybe yeah. it's harder now that we're old farts and everything's ingrained. And you're like, no, I think when you listen, you're going to Breckenridge, right? You have a community here in Chicago and like you're deep rooted. There's fear with like, you know, having to reestablish and populate and building those bridges. But I know that putting yourself in like that uncomfortable zone. And as long as you put yourself out there, you're going to make great friends that are just like you and even some new friends that you even never thought you'd have and everything in between. So I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think change needs to kick you in the ass every now and then, right? It's you fun. can't just keep doing the same shit yeah. over and over. The definition of insanity, right? Like, yes. <laughs> you keep doing yes. the same shit. Oh, it's going to change. Something magical is going to happen. Not so yeah, I'm with you. But I mean, good for you to be able to handle that at 18 years old. So you go to Miami, you change, you go into business, you learn about entrepreneurship. How'd you get into the world of real estate? How did the whole career go? So I was dating a girl that was two years Aaron. older than me. <laughs> usually I always smile because when people move to a city, I always think it's either for a job or for a significant other, right? Yep. You know, very seldom it's like, I was passionate about this city and I wanted to move there on my own. And that, that does happen, but the majority. So I moved to Chicago for a girl. And I'm fortunate for it because obviously I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her, candidly. So I moved to Chicago and I had a tremendous amount of my friends that were also here. So that made it an easy transition. But my first job out of school, I just wanted to get any job where I could make enough money to go to Kincaid's or go to, you know, <laughs> go to Lincoln Avenue back in the day and just oh, like, I love it. Right. <laughs> like that's all maybe 10 cent wings, maybe play some Euchre. 
Stanley's. We're going yeah. to Stanley's. It's a big night. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they have free whiskey at the end of the bar. <laughs> so my first job out of school, which also was a really pivotal moment for me, is I, I got a job with ADP, the payroll company. Yeah. And I didn't think anything of it. But what was interesting, I was there for probably 14 or 16 months. And at ADP, you go to like this intensive week-long sales training program. And they tell you, teach you how to sell, how to overcome objections, how to co-call, getting comfortable on the phone, getting comfortable with in-person meetings, how to control a meeting. And I just thought that was just a really, looking back at, it was a really, again, pivotal moment for me. And when I was at ADP, the very first half of my career, I was always like the lower third on the leaderboard. And my manager, Paul, pulled me into his office. And he's like, hey, Brad, you know, how do you think you're doing? And I'm like, ah, you know, we're not doing all right, man. You know, like, you know, it's just a solid seat. Yeah, we're from Lincoln Avenue, but, uh, you know, last night. But no, I'm like, I'm doing all right, Paul. You know, I'm trying. It's a little tough out there. Not everyone's taking meetings, but yeah, we're we're getting there. And he looked at me and he goes, you know what I think? I think you're failing. And he goes, I bet you that's probably the first time you've heard that, huh? Life's probably come pretty easy to you. Let me guess. Grades, girls, school, sports. Yeah, well, if you keep doing what you're doing, which seems okay to you, you're just not going to be here much longer. Wow. And that was like a, like a very, like I, that really hit me in my, in my soul. And that was the first time anybody looked me in the eye and said that I was failing at something. And the very next morning I woke up, I was in the office by 6 a.m. I hadn't seen 6 a.m. one time. <laughs> <laughs> not it wasn't a wraparound from the night before. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I was started to work my ass off like I never thought I did. I started making calls, started getting meetings. And slowly in the next month, I was at top of the leaderboard. And I realized that if I'm going to work my ass off in a sales type of position, I want to make sure that there's no roof over my head. And what yeah. industry can I go in with my limited amount of education without going back to MBA, you know, getting a law degree or getting a, my MBA? And I looked at insurance. I looked at financial planning, wealth management. And someone said, you can make a lot of money in commercial real estate. I knew nothing about it. And I started kind of my journey co-calling different people. Again, this is a time pre-LinkedIn. So I didn't yeah. have any sort of anywhere to search. I started asking people who they knew and started searching people. And I got a hold of a guy and he happened to be the number one commercial real estate broker in the Midwest at the time. And he's still my mentor to this day. His name's Todd Lipman. And he's like, hey, kid, why don't you come in and uh, I'll meet with you tomorrow. And I met him in his office. I spent the entire next two days with him and he ended up hiring me. He's like, obviously you can sell, but I'll teach you commercial real estate. And why don't you... Why don't you take a leap and come work with me? And so that was sort of like how I got my entry or entry into commercial real estate. The best part about it, though, is I had no clue exactly what within the realm of commercial real estate I'd be doing. I'm going to be building buildings. Like, I, you know, I had no fucking clue what I was going to be Yeah. This is sick. Skyscrapers. Here I we know. come. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. I'm going to be selling whole buildings. <laughs> so I get this offer and I take the job. And I started two and a half weeks, three weeks after 9-11. Holy so shit. Oh, my think God. About, think about where we are in the world at that time. The, the, the towers come down. The world is on high alert. No company, the financial markets are tanking. The dot-com bubble just burst. Yeah. And I'm like in this commercial real estate offices and everyone's slamming doors and freaking out on the phones. And I'm like, what is happening here? Yeah. And that's why I always love when I'm talking to young professionals about like, they're telling me how hard it is in this difficult time. And, and I'm like, 
But if you change your perspective a little bit, this is also the best time to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And so I looked at it as I was like, well, I'm kind of, it looks like this is a pretty shitty time to be here. So that's kind of a good time for me to get in, I think, because hopefully it doesn't get any worse. Yeah. Where expectations aren't super high at that yeah. point. You mentioned something that I, I always think like you had that moment where somebody said you're failing. I had this, like, I, I desperately, I did not work hard in college. It was a big mistake. I went to a really good school. I did not work hard. And then when I applied to law school, I got into some good schools. I, God knows why. But I, my brother went to Tulane and I was like, I want to go to New Orleans, right? That's where I want to be. So regardless of the fact that I actually got into some schools that are technically better schools than Tulane, that's where I wanted to go. And so I actually got a rejection, not even a wait list, like a full rejection from Tulane. And I'm out in Colorado being a ski bum. And I'm like, how the hell did I get into schools that are better than this? But this is the place I want to go. So I got in a plane and I flew down to visit my brother and I went to the law school and I met with a counselor and I said, what do I need to do? to get into this school. And he said, there is literally nothing you can do to get into this school. You should have worked harder when you were in college, but I, I have a feeling that you know that. And I'm like, oh, motherfucker. Like that's, you can look at it two ways, right? You can do two things. You can curl up into a ball and say, oh my God, all it did was piss me off. And it made me, it, I, so what I did is I went back to, I, I basically, Washington University, St. Louis, right? Yeah. I'm going to go there. I called them up. Great school. Said, yes, it's great. And it's in Anheuser-Busch Hall. So I thought there was some part of the universe that was trying to drive me there. But <laughs> yeah, but like, this just makes sense. It's named after beer. But I called them up and I said, hey, will you hold my spot if I come, if I spend another year in Colorado? I didn't explain why. And if anybody from Washington listens to this, I apologize. But I really wanted to spend that year seeing if I could get into Tulane. That's where I wanted to go. So I sent them a letter a week saying, you're going to let me in. I'm going to go to this school. I sent them pictures of me rock climbing where I had like a Tulane shirt on. And I just kept going and going and going. The first day of admissions for that next class, they sent me a letter saying, you're in. Please stop writing us. <laughs> <laughs> That's and then it gets even better because I went through all three years and I graduated and I'm walking through the line. And the guy, the admissions counselor who had told me, you'll never get in here, there's nothing you can do, said, like, shook my hand or something and said, Colin, I, I, I knew you could do it. Congratulations. And I said, go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you knew I could do it, really. Yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah. That's why you shat all over me. Yeah. But I think it's a good lesson, like, for this next generation of people, like, if there's any advice to take out of these podcasts, and I hope there is, it's like, when you get shit on and bad things happen, people knock you down. That's the impetus to do better things, not to yeah. say, not to curl up and say, I can't do this or what the fuck, right? It's, that's the wrong reaction. Take it personally, get better. Um, well, I, I mean, I think to that point, it's interesting because for the first three years of my career, I wanted to quit almost every day. I'm sitting here, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I, I have an empty database. I'm walking literally every floor of every office building in the city of Chicago. There was 286 back then. <laughs> I'm wearing holes through my fucking shoes. I'm going back to my Act 1.0 database and I'm entering in names of companies and trying to get phone numbers and then started cold calling and just getting completely shit on. And I'm like, this is garbage. Like, is this my life? Like, I'm, I'm like a, I'm a telephone book salesman. Like, this is horrible. You know, and I'm looking around me and guys were my year and, you know, that I started with were seeing success and I was really envious. 
And you get to a place where this guy that was running our office at the time was walking around. It was like a Friday afternoon. And he looked at me and he's like, dude, it's like Friday, 3 p.m., 4 p.m. Everyone's gone. Why are you here? That's awesome that you're here. I'm like, listen, I'm trying to you know, be the best. And I'm just really frustrated, Sam. Like, I, you know, I feel like I'm working as hard, if not harder than these guys. And I'm not seeing the same level of success. And it's really making me upset. And he looked yeah. at me and he goes, that's part of your problem. He goes, you got to stop looking what everyone else is doing. And you got to focus on how you spend your time and the things you can control. And the moment you do that is the moment you're going to start seeing success. And that was like, again, another interesting, you know, impactful moment for me. And the next day I sort of just like put my blinders on and said, congratulations to everyone else's success. I'm very happy for you, but I'm going to focus on my success. And I started getting yeses and it just really kind of changed my outlook versus being envious and sort of getting bogged down by what everyone else was doing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, why shit on other people? It doesn't matter. No. But that is the world, right? Everybody loves to like take you down to make themselves feel better. The minute you realize that that's not going to get you anywhere, it's not going to make you feel any better about anything. You're just going to still feel like shit. That's sort of the change. So what happened? How did you change the way you do things? I mean, look at where you are now. <laughs> Businesses come to you. You don't need to roll well, and be doing the calling. Well, you know, I, I think that as I started growing up in the business and started seeing success, I realized a few things. I obsess about how to stay relevant. I obsess about how to build strong relationships. And I obsess about it's easy for me to say that I'm good at what I do. It's a lot more impactful and powerful for you to say that I'm good at what I do, right? Or somebody else. And how do I put myself in a position to look and feel a little differently? And my mom used to always say, you want to be in the room, son. You want to have the microphone and you want to be in the room. I don't care what room, but the important room, that's the room you want to be in. I didn't really know what she meant until I started getting in these rooms. I'm like, how the hell did this little St. Louis punk, this little kid from, you know, but get here. But, and I, and sometimes I, I get to pinch myself and smile because I, I love it. But I started realizing that everyone in Chicago knows everyone. And yes. the community is a lot smaller than you realize. Your reputation is everything. Everything. And, right. I mean, you, you piss off the wrong person. It could be detrimental. Yep. Anybody listening, take that to heart. Your reputation is all you have. That is it. You fuck that up. You're done. You're done, especially in a service business, man. Like, see you later. Yeah. So those are all just things I started taking to heart and really obsessing about. And I knew that I could control like how many calls I made, how many meetings I got. If I went and I did networking groups, how many, you know, could I go to every single one of them? And when tech started coming on the scene, I wanted to be that guy that went to every single damn event that you looked at me and you're like, dude, who the hell are you? I see you at all these fucking events. Like, are you, are you an entrepreneur? Are you an investor? Like, what are you? I'm like, well, I'm just your neighborhood broker, like a real estate guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, but truthfully, I was like, no, I support the ecosystem and I want to be an advocate and I want to understand and I want to be an, you know, I want to, I'm an investor. I want to, I started investing in angel investing in different uh, entrepreneurs and funds along the way. And just through this evolution of kind of supporting an ecosystem and picking an industry to go after and go after hard, I really wanted to become and looked at and viewed a little differently. And I think that also helps sort of yield success as it relates to real estate and business. Well, I mean, that happened, right? So, so, but it's interesting. Like I think of you've got Tony coming up in your ecosystem and stuff. So what do you do? I mean, I, people always ask me for advice and I'm like, shit, I don't, I feel like I've tripped into everything, right? The world has sort of guided me in different ways. And I'd love to tell you, like I have, Maybe there's some things I can offer. I'm sure there's a lot of things I can offer, but 
I look at it and say, I don't know what you want me to tell you because I have tripped and stumbled and bumbled and done all this shit and I've ended up where I am and hopefully it continues to be good. But I don't know. I don't know what the answers are. So what do you tell somebody like Tony and the team coming up? They want to be you, right? Tony, if you're listening, I know you want to be Brad, so don't well, deny it. Well, what I, this is truthfully what I tell Tony and Tyler and Justin and other team members on, that I work with is that not only you always need somebody to aspire to be like, right? That's something that I would give any young professional advice that you want somebody that, that you want to be like that inspires you to be better. And what I tell the team is, I want you to be better than I ever could be. And I want you to benefit from all the hazing and all the wrongdoing and all the misfortune that I had to fight through and slug through. That was not the right way to grow up in our business. You know, there was like, we won't, that's a whole nother episode of sort of like what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hazing is out the door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No hazing, the what not to do. And I really want to promote from, you know, in, inspire from within that, there is a, a more inclusive, kinder, better way to motivate. And I always, there's a, one of my good friends, he's a motivational speaker and an author. His name is Ben Newman from St. Louis. And he's phenomenal. And he, he coaches and talks to different professional sports teams and athletes. And he, he talks about the unrequired. And we all know what's required of us. Yeah. Whether it's your personal life, professional life, you already know. You know, sometimes we play coy, like, ah, you know, you know the answer. It's the unrequired, which sets you apart. Yes, yeah. things. It's getting in earlier. It's staying later. It's entering. It's doing all of their database entry on the weekends. It's anything to get organized on off hours or whatever business you're in. And then I always look at them and I'm like, you know what's required of you? Stop coming in here playing games with me. It's yeah. the required. What's going to set you apart? So you know the answer. And again, when it comes to leadership and like mentoring, I'm not a very hands-on leader. And sometimes that's not what a lot of young professionals want. They want someone who's going to check in with them daily. And how do I do this? How do I do that? Yeah. Yeah. Coddle them and, and, and whatever. Like I'm always, my door's always open, but come in with smart questions and come in prepared. If yeah. you come in my office unprepared, I'm just going to shoot you out. That's just not acceptable to me. I could, I would never show up to a meeting unprepared. Right. So I don't care. It's always a meeting. It's always a pitch. It's always a sale. Right. So we preach that a lot. That's part of the ethos. And then also the other piece of advice is build deep relationships. My friends, are my clients, my clients are my friends. And I always try to do the right thing. I always try to do what's best for my friends and for my clients. And I'll always do that. And if you just continue to kind of keep that ethos in there in mind, you know, also good things happen. Yeah. I mean, shit, here's one for you said, like doing the things you know you need to do and the, something you may not know you need to do. Be fucking kind and nice to people. Oh, yeah. It will never serve you wrong. I mean, it, it really is amazing that people don't bring that to the world. They just think somebody's below me. They suck, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's such a basic matters. rule, like a fundamental flaw, a fundamental flaw. It's a fundamental rule and it's a fundamental flaw. Yeah. I don't know what percentage of the population, but people who just don't get it, they see these different tiers of who's worth their time and who isn't wrong. Everybody's worth your time. So yeah, I mean, that's what I always think of is like... That's great. You know, that's, right. that's, 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 that's again, that's part of the ethos. And I think it's just so ingrained in you and it's so ingrained in me at being a good person and being kind and being open and, and inviting and like somebody asking you a question or a favor, of course, how can I help? You bet. Right, right. It's paying it forward. It all comes back. So, all right, two questions. Tell me what you like most about what you do and tell me about what you hate about what you do. So what I like most about what I do is... The people that I work with and the clients that I represent, I'm so proud. And this is just, this is true. I'm so proud of my team. I'm so 
excited. I'm more excited, truthfully, to come in the office today than I did 20 years ago. And I was pretty damn excited to come in 20 years ago. And I love being that guy that's like sitting around the table reflecting and all the hilarious, funny things that have happened, like getting detained in the Sears Tower back in the day after 9-11 by security. <laughs> I thought that I was a terrorist. I mean, just hilarious shit happening over the years. But I'm just really proud of, of, of like my team and the clients that we represent and the friendships and relationships I've built. And I'd say the least favorite thing about my business is you, just the lack of control. I don't have control over decisions that are made. I don't have, I'm not running the company. I'm a service yeah. provider. I'm, my job is to create optionality and advise you and provide you scenarios. And you can make the best decision, but I can't control those decisions or what you're going to do. And sometimes I have strong opinions about those decisions that are made, yeah. right, longer and different, but that's the, that's the one thing that's always very challenging for me. Yeah, I mean, you should always suggest to clients that they paint an entire building purple and... and <laughs> No comment. <laughs> yes, yes, we know. Wait, you, you just mentioned something, though, about getting detained in the Sears Tower. Tell the story. <laughs> so this I started in November, right, of 2001, right, weeks after 9-11 happened. And my job, my very, the very first building where we call it stacking a building, right? You walk every floor, you write down every company's information, you go back and you enter it, you data enter it, and then you start cold calling. Well, I'm sitting here walking every floor, starting at the top. I stuck my way into past security because they started, you know, the security was new back then, right? Like you could just free flow go into office buildings if, you know, back in the day. Yeah. So I stuck my way past security and every admin was on high alert that if you saw somebody strange lurking on your floor, call <laughs> security. Were you wearing like a dark hoodie and sunglasses? No, I mean, I was in a, well... I was in the only olive green Kenneth Cole reaction suit I could afford back then, man. Like, you know. <laughs> oh my God, that's so good. I ate so much Kenneth Cole shit. What the fuck? <laughs> my square tip shoes, bro. I mean, yes. On. Oh my God. <laughs> so I literally was walking like, you know, the 87th floor and this woman runs out and she's like, sir, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I'm on the wrong floor. She goes, what floor were you going to? You don't belong here, do you? I'm calling security. I'm like, no, ma'am, I'm okay. I'm, I'm good. I'm leaving now. So anyway, I just continued about my journey of stacking the rest of the building. And like the next floor, two security guards detain me. They bring me into like the bowels of the Sears Tower, like questioning <laughs> me. <laughs> I had to call my mentor, Todd. I'm like, Todd, you need to get me the hell out of here. I think I'm in trouble, man. This is not... <laughs> They're going to interrogate me. Yeah. They're like, well, yeah, what are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just casing the joint. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. just writing down everybody's name. Don't worry yeah. about it. It's totally fine. <laughs> totally fine, sir. What do you do? Nothing. Nothing right now. Yeah. Oh, it's freaking great. Fun times. Uh, this is so good to hear all these stories. So now we move on to my favorite part of this whole thing, which is the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you some questions. You basically get a sentence off the top of your head. Don't think about it too deep okay? Um, because this is just kind of the fun part. So you ready? Ready. All right. All right. Favorite movie and why? Oh, wow. Uh, haven't thought about this movie in a while. Bronx Tale. Oh, shit. Yeah. De Niro is one of his early movies. I just fell in love with like the main character, the kid, Collosional. And they were like, yeah. See, yeah. I just, I don't know, the old mob movies. I loved it. Every time I ask this question, I figure I'm going to get like old school or something, right? Just and for me, like Animal House, I'd say Animal House and just like a stupid answer. But it is amazing how many people give me deep movie answers, huh. right? 
which is not just like, oh, whatever. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, favorite book and why? I would tell you that my favorite book I just read I, was called Red Notice. I think yeah. Bill Broder, just an awesome book about the hedge fund guy that went to Russia and he was like Putin's number one hit list. Amazing book, recommended. Yeah, well, shit, particularly right now. All right, this is always an interesting one. Favorite person other than me and why? I mean, this is, you know, I would tell you my kiddos, man. Yeah. I favorite people, my four kids. I love them to death. They're amazing and they inspire me. And I have to mention this because your beautiful daughter, you did the bike ride. Tell everybody a little bit about that because like this is the shit that like will put me in tears, which there's not much, right? Yeah. I mean, so I have twin eight-year-olds, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. My twin, Ava, who's eight, uh, she has cerebral palsy and epilepsy. We had a really traumatic birthing experience. And she suffered. She didn't breathe for 11 minutes. And Jesus Christ. Was a talk, you know, we lived in the hospital for a while. And anyway, as a result, she's just, she's a very disabled little girl, but she's cognitively a very funny, silly, hilarious little eight-year-old, right? And she's just an inspiration. She works her ass off to do daily little tasks that take, you know, we, do, we all take for granted, you know, sitting, yeah. breathing, eating. And it took me a long time to even talk about it aloud. And I never really even publicly did anything on social media, but over COVID, I started cycling and that was like a bright light in my life. It got me through COVID and some other tough times. And during that ride, one of the guys I rode with signed us up for something called the triple bypass. And the triple bypass is this epic ride over 120 miles that is up through, you know, you go over three mountains, climbing a 12,000 feet of a elevation climb in altitude. And it was just this crazy hard ride. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to use this as a platform to just talk about my daughter and see if I can raise some money. And so there's two charities that are near and dear to us, Easter Seals and Epilepsy Foundation. So my goal was to raise $20,000 and, <laughs> and, and to match it. Beat get, the shit out of that. <laughs> crush that motherfucker. And then <laughs> and give each charity 20 grand and feel pretty good about it. But within 24 hours of emailing clients and friends about what this ride and this fundraiser, I raised $50,000 within 48. I raised 100 and 25 days later, I raised $364,000. It was the most beautiful experience. And that ride was fucking, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I mean, look, man, I've spent a lot of time at 9,000 feet and above. Freaking walking can be hard, much yeah. less biking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was broken. I mean, I don't know if you've ever felt broken before. I've never felt broken before. I thought yeah. I had. I was broken on this ride. And this is actually kind of an interesting story. My phone didn't work throughout the ride. My phone, mile 72 or five into the ride where I just, I felt like I had a knife in my back and my knee. I was done. I was literally, I was, I was going to quit. You're going to quit. Yeah. And my phone rings. It's my daughter, Ava. This is a true story. And it, she was, Universe. she FaceTimes me. I'm getting like emotional telling you this is true. Yeah. And I, I pull over and I'm like, Hey baby, like this is, you know, what are you doing? And she's like, you're silly daddy. I'm like, daddy's hurting, babe. Yeah. And one of the main sayings that we have in our house uh, since Ava's been born is, yes, I can. No matter how hard uh, she, she, you know, we're trying and no matter how hard things are, yes, I can. And I looked at her and I was like, I need to hear you say, what's that saying that we say all the time in our house? She's like, daddy, what are you talking about? I go, Ava, I need <laughs> to hear you say no right now. <laughs> like, yes, I can. And I was like, that's it. That's it, baby. That's it. Yes, I can. And I fucking, that was it. And I was the motivation I needed to finish that race. It was awesome. Holy shit. Yeah. Now that's a good story. <laughs> crazy, crazy. The universe does work in funny ways, my friend. But that was a, that was one for the books. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I mean, that's literally like, I, 
this is not anywhere akin, right? But I ran the Chicago Marathon in 2009. Remember when they ran out of water? It was like 140 degrees. Like got off. Yeah. 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 That was when me and my law school buddies decided, let's run a marathon. <laughs> we wake up that morning. I'm like, they said like 15,000 people dropped out because those are all the people who had done marathons. They're like, no, this is stupid. Halfway through, there was no water left in the course. At mile 20, they somehow decided to give people bananas. Like picture a warm, mushy banana in like 105 degrees and you've run 20 miles and people are eating them and just barfing everywhere. And so I hit De La Salle Academy and there's like three miles left, two miles left. And I go full body cramp. Like you talk about like, no, 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 I'm going to die, right? It's over. Forget it. I'm finished. And this cop comes up to me as I'm literally curled into a ball and he says, I'm going to take you over to the tent to get an IV and all this shit. And I'm like, I'm three miles away. Like I've made it this far. You kicked half the people off the course if they hadn't made it to act. Like I've made it this far. And I literally, I stood up. I waited for like my body to uncramp and I limped my way to the finish line. But I think the only reason I did, I think I probably would have quit. This is not nearly as cool a story as yours. If that cop hadn't walked up and said, it's over, I'm taking you off this course and pissed me off. Yeah, you're like, no, you're not. I take me off. I take myself off. I quit on my own, God damn it. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's so, way yeah. But your story beats the shit out of that. I, I, no, I think it's amazing. It was a beautiful experience, man. It really was. It was one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of in my life. And we actually, I'm, I'm a, we signed up again and we were, I'm doing like three other races this summer. So I'm like nervous about it. Cause I'm like, I need to get my ass back on the bike. I haven't even been on the bike yet, but it's been raining for 40 days <laughs> here in Chicago. So you're up. So we need to start training. Yeah. <laughs> All right, back to the lightning round. That was a great diversion, but we'll finish up with this. All right, so in 10 years, you'll be doing what? I hope I'm doing the same thing. I really do. Um, I love what I do. And I hope that I'm also still doing, like on the side, doing real estate deals and investing in office buildings. But I love, love, I'll be doing the same thing. Awesome. If somebody was going to play you in a movie, who would it be? Oh, gosh. Somebody's going to play me in a movie. Who's it going to be? Like, who do I look like? Like Dave Matthews or some shit? Like, I, <laughs> I get like all sorts of weird people. Robert Downey Jr. Maybe. I don't know. Oh, man. That's a good. He does sort of look like I you. Think, you know, I've heard that. Oh, holy shit. I've never. Th- yeah. My God. You should do the full on Iron Man beard shave. <laughs> just, the, just the pencil, you know, the pencil and the points. My God, that'd be amazing. That's a pretty good one. Um all right. I asked this question and the dollar value doesn't particularly matter for everybody. It's, I think, a little bit different, but let's, we'll use a dollar value. So if somebody hands you $10 million tomorrow, are you done? Do you walk away? No, not even close. Good. All right. Final one. What's the most important personality trait a person can have? Being open-minded, being generous, being kind. I mean, you gotta, you just, you just, those are just such, such basic, wonderful qualities, I think, in that you, that, that everyone should carry non-negotiables, right? Yeah. I always think mine's like a moral compass. If you can't understand that doing something's wrong, I don't want you near me. No, because they call it a serial killer. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll probably kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, I didn't think of it that way. Mine was much more innocent, but yours is better. <laughs> I'm sorry. Dark place for a moment. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, this is great. I want to say thanks to Brad Surratt for being on this. Um, once again, Vice Chairman at CBRE. If you have any real estate needs, go to his ass. He's the best. Uh, Brad, thanks, man. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me on. This was a ton of fun.